Being with your changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Rollbar. Move fast and fix things. Resolve errors in minutes and deploy with confidence. Head to Rollbar.com slash Changelog. Request a demo. Get started today. It's loved by developers, trusted by enterprises, and most of all, we use it here at Changelog. Move fast and fix things with Rollbar. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. Okay, the ball drops in five, four, four three, three, two. two. One. One. Happy, Happy New Year! Yay! That's right, friends. We are ringing in the new year by throwing a New Year's JS party. Join us for our 2020 predictions, our wish lists, and stay tuned for the resolutions at the end. That'll be fun. We have a huge cast of characters with me today. Bone Skull is here. Say hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. I should have seen that one coming. You know, K-Ball is always down to party. What's up, K-Ball? Yo, yo, yo. Here I am. And Nick is back from Montreal. Hoy, hoy, Nick. Hoy, hoy. And of course, our favorite view vixen is with us. It's Divya. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> what, what does hoy, hoy mean? Oh. It means hello. <laughs> is, is that a thing? It, it's, it's a I've thing. I've never heard that before. It's, it's how Mr. Burns answers the phone. In the Simpsons. Ahoy, ahoy. It's also oh. it's Nick's calling card these days. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because Divya has been working relentlessly on her calling card. And I asked her about it last week and she said that it wasn't ready yet. And then I asked you today, just now, I said hello. And you said, ho, ho, ho. Is this your calling card? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> I tried to be seasonal, but taken. I'm like a little, little late. But close, it's close enough to Christmas, I guess, after January. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're coming to you from the future, but recording in the past, the magic of podcasting. You will be listening to this on or after January 2nd, 2020. That being said, we're acting as if it's January because technically we're sitting here on December 19th. Looking forward as we do in our crystal balls, we are going to predict the future or fail to dramatically on today's show. So let's start off with some predictions for 2020. We have a lot of them, some good, others, you decide. I will pick from the list, and I'll start at the end where the predictions got crazier and crazier as they went <laughs> down the list. I will start from the end. AI assistance will be a thing while writing code. Who wrote this down and why? I did, and I think that it will be a thing. I think that like, in, in the way that we have like autocomplete, I think that autocomplete will become more intelligent with AI assistance knowing more about the code uh, and or the the open source APIs that you're working with. Oh, interesting. Didn't somebody release a, a, a proof of concept or something for this, for Python? I, I saw it uh, specifically for Vim, something called, I think it was called Tab 9, and 
I had, I tried it out and I didn't get it to work after like two minutes of trying. So that's why I'm predicting in 2020. Interesting. It so it's, it's like <laughs> NLP model predictions, but for code. I think that one specifically like looks at open source code on GitHub, like maybe the, that's using the APIs that you're using and like sees what you're trying to pass into it and then suggests how to write your code based on how lots of other people have written that code. Interesting. Yeah, there are definitely companies and groups out there working on this. And I've seen a lot of, you know, announcements and future projections of like, these are things that we're working on to integrate into your code editors. Uh, that being said, I, I don't think we've seen too much that actually works like Nick has experienced. So I think maybe 2020 is a pretty decent prediction on like people will start to pull these things together and make them act actually useful. That being said, when I see AI assistant, I think of like, you know, an actual <laughs> robot giving me the side eye as I write some terrible code. <laughs> that too. That too. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's that. sort of like on the side of it, but not not exactly an AI assistant is this no code thing, which is what Webflow's whole shtick is, where you're essentially creating websites without writing any code. And I think that has just started this year and 2020 might be the time when it gains wider adoption and you see more of that and you start working with more no code to code type workflows. Wait, wait, wait. That's just started this year. What's WordPress? Webflow. No, what's okay, but No, no, no. I said... Yeah, I isn't kind of WYSIWYG the yeah, same idea? Wizzy, like, yeah, I think it, it's not... Well, okay. It's not that it started this year. It's just that I think people created a name around it because I think it's existed for uh, a while, right? Like you could do WYSIWYG stuff. The marketing stuff machine with, has kicked on. Yes, exactly. Because you could do stuff with Much Dreamweaver. like with Jamstack, which is the way that people have been building websites for years and years and years. Well, uh, there's some extra things to Jamstack and we can talk about that later that's make, that makes it slightly different now than maybe like 10, 20 years ago. But the idea with no code is just like essentially very similar to Dreamweaver, like drag and drop or even WordPress, I guess, if you have the editor you're essentially doing things without having to write any code, which I think that has been around for a while, right? <laughs> but I think mm -hmm. oftentimes you see that as like individual, like you don't see people just or doing both where they're like doing WYSIWYG and then coding at the same time. Um, but there might be, you might see similar to what Nick was mentioning with like AI assistants writing your code you might see no code living alongside people who write code. So like, for example, a designer might create something in Webflow and then a developer might come in and just like edit or change stuff. Who knows? I don't know. It's I refuse to recognize this existential threat. No, I mean... <laughs> yes, I'll bury my head in the sand and say this is never going to happen. <laughs> I, no, I totally understand uh, like low code, no code for, for, for non-developers or, or, or people who just don't want to touch the code. But... Um, I mean, we're developers and we like to code. And so it's really hard, in, in my experience, to get interested in a low-code or no-code tool to do pretty much anything, right? I mean, I think one of the things here is we just we keep automating more and more stuff that's boring in order to free us up to do more and more interesting things. Um, or boring or labor-intensive. Like go fishing? Think about higher-level stuff. Well... I mean, I saw there was this great tweet that it was, it was particularly uh, funny because a lot of people took it seriously and didn't fully grok what I said, but somebody was like, oh yeah, you know, no code is going to eliminate development just like uh, compilers eliminated uh, all the software developers, right? Like this concept that going up a level of abstraction doesn't actually 
you know, remove the need for people thinking at the, at more complex levels. It just lets you do more with the same amount of intensity. Right. So like basic websites have been no codable for a long time with WordPress, with, um, what is the, there's like uh, build your own web, like, well, there's, oh, there's Wix, Wix, there's Wix, Squarespace. Yeah. Squarespace. Yeah. Those are, those are what I was trying to think of. Like that's, that's old news, but that's the same thing of like, okay, certain things, so long as you stay within certain boundaries and you have certain constraints and you're not doing these things are completely automatable and doable without having to understand the guts. And that, that bar keeps rising up, but that has not reduced the amount of people coding people coding has continued to rise. We just keep doing more and more complex things that push the, the edge further. Yeah, I agree. It's not a zero sum game, you know, mm-hmm. there's just going to be more people coding. There's going to be more code. There's going to be more no code. <laughs> that works. <laughs> I think it's, it's similar to what cable was saying, which is also just ease of use. So like, for example, with no code, you could, or even with WordPress, which is essentially the alternative. Um, it's this ability for you to not write code in certain aspects. So for instance, if you're someone who really dislikes writing CSS and making your website look pretty from that aspect, you could focus on a no-code tool like WordPress or whatever plugins or Webflow's workflow or whatever that is to do all of that so that the styling is almost applied on top and then you can focus on something else. So I think it's, it's the idea of abstracting away the work that you'd rather not do into something else that will do it for you. So like whether that be an AI assistant, like I think we're saying, or <laughs> whatever the snow code tool is. Well, let's move on to other predictions because we could probably continue to talk about this. I love the idea of having more no code. That sounds really nice to me, Chris. But let's go to a prediction that I actually wrote down, which I think that Google's share of browser usage is going to start to drop as alternative browsers gain usage especially browsers that either focus on security and privacy or begin to see that as a competitive advantage and integrate security and privacy features. I just downloaded Microsoft's Chromium-based Edge and noticed that they're now using, uh, or they're now offering as a feature tracking prevention. What do they call it? Protect yourself with tracking prevention. Of course, we've seen Apple adding that to Safari. We have Firefox, which has always been more privacy-focused, and upstart browsers like Brave that are basically taking a lot of what Chromium or everything Chromium has to offer, ripping out the Google bits, and providing a browser that is uh, better in many ways, but similar in other ways. So it seems like to me that Google's control of the browser landscape is going to start to diminish. That being said, Chromium itself is going to continue to rise. What are you guys' thoughts on that? I agree. 100%. I would like to agree. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't? Well, I'm trying to dig up real quick what the the trajectory has been. So I did look up real quick. So Chrome, according to StatCounter, in 2018, Chrome was at 61% uh, market share worldwide. And in 2019, it's been at 64% worldwide. So it's seen a 3% increase this year. Um, that's why I say it will begin to drop. It has to turn the other direction because it is still continuing to grow, even though there has been uh, more and more complaints or dissatisfaction, you might say, by users. Yeah, I think as uh, um, um, Edge, Chromium Edge uh, matures, we'll see more people using that on Windows. The one question I would ask 
to sort of think about this is what percentage of browser use is mobile and what are the trends in that direction? Because most of the alternatives we've talked about here are really, from my understanding, focused on desktop and laptop, but huge amounts of browsing right now is mobile and most of those users are just using what's on the device. So on the mobile browser market share, you have Chrome at 62, which is slightly down from uh, overall, and Safari at 21, which is up quite a bit from its overall, as Safari for desktop has never been a, a game changer, but iOS has a huge hold of the mobile uh, market share. So there is a difference there for sure. And I think that Apple's relentless uh, power grab on iOS and ref you know, refusal to have any other rendering engines on their on their platform has continued to keep Safari's dominance there. And I think it will continue in that way. Maybe they'll let go of the default browser option as the platform matures. I don't know. It seems to be the last stand for Safari on iOS is you can't change the default. I think another thing to note, which is going off of Cable's idea is this concept of like a lot of people are using mobile to view content on the web, but there's also this concept of in-app browsers, which is like, I don't even know where they live, honestly, because it's essentially you're, mm. you're viewing content and then it opens a browser within the application that you're in. <laughs> and so people view, a lot of people view content that way. And so you're not technically like on a browser browser, you're like within the application opening into a browser, which is a weird mm -hmm. use case. And I'm, I'm sure so in 2020, more people will be having that kind of an experience. I also think that we're, we're going to see a bifurcation based on features because it seems like browsers are kind of spreading out in the the available features for them. And I'm not talking about like language support or, or anything like that, but like if you are more privacy focused, you're going to not be on Chrome. You're going to be on Safari or Firefox or or maybe Brave. If you want the picture-in-picture, -picture, you're going to be in Safari. Like there, there's these features that are specific to browsers that might force your decision into which one you use based on what's available. Well said. Let's move to future predictions here. We have Svelte gaining more popularity. Uh, Pre-compiled frameworks will continue to gain traction. I'm just reading this from our list, and we'll see both Svelte get more popular and another candidate emerge. Who wrote that and who would like to I wrote expand? that, um, and I will expand on it a little bit. I'm seeing... More and more and more attention paid to the cost of JavaScript and the cost of JavaScript frameworks. And more and more and more folks trying to innovate at a compile level. So doing things like Jamstack where you're pre-compiling things, pre-compiling more and more uh, into frameworks like Svelte that compile down to just you know simple native JavaScript with no runtime. And... I think that those trends are currently accelerating and will continue to accelerate. Right now, Svelte is kind of the only innovator I know of in that space at the framework level of we're going all the way to making a framework that's that's pre-compiling as much as possible and, and boiling things down. But um, it's been getting a lot of noise, in, or it, it got a lot of noise in 2019. I think it's going to continue to get a lot of noise in 2020. And my hope is that we will start to see competition there because I know in the other framework spaces, having competition has sparked a ton of innovation. React and Vue and Angular have all learned from each other. Svelte has learned from all of them, but I think there's, there's probably some optimizations you can make at the compilation stage that having more competition in that space would 
help Spark? I think, doesn't Elm also sit technically in the same vein as Spelt because it is compiled to JavaScript? I guess that's true. Does it ship with a runtime, though? Like, what is the compiled? I believe, I believe it, does. it does. So that's yeah. one thing that I think is a little bit different, but I don't know how, how much it boils down. Yeah, you, one could argue that I, I'm not familiar enough with Elm to say particular, but mm-hmm. it is a compiled to JavaScript language and framework. I, I draw a little bit of a distinction between compile to JavaScript, but cre- the same model of we're going to have a runtime and we're going to have this sort of uh, complex thing that we ship out that is a bunch of JavaScript weight that goes out regardless of how complex your app mm-hmm. is, as compared to we're going to try to pre-compute everything we possibly can and boil down what we ship to the absolute minimum. Got it. But Elm, Elm may be doing more of that than I'm aware Yeah, I of. think, I mean, I'm not, I, I can't speak to Elm either because I don't work with it, but... I do know that that is in the front end landscape. Elm was one of the first to do a lot of like compile to JavaScript type work, which I think Svelte took a lot of inspiration from when Rich Harris wrote Svelte essentially. But I think, I think as you're right, that Svelte is very much focused on making it as lightweight as possible. So there's a lot of like, you'll hear it online with like <laughs> essentially Svelte arguing about how the performance of Spelt is very nice. I think there was that image of that animation that went around, I think a couple of weeks ago, and they were like, this is written in React. And then someone jumped on it and wrote it in Vue, someone wrote it in Angular, someone wrote it in Spelt, and so on. Does anybody know who, who's using Spelt? Is, is New York Times using it? That's a good question. I know he built it for the use cases that he was facing there, but I have no idea if they use it. So they at least did use it internally at the New York Times uh, for a lot of their JavaScript journalism. I know that GoDaddy has some stuff in production. I remember looking at the list a couple months back. I don't think you can say the New York Times uses X or X is one thing because they have lots of projects and lots of different... That style of journalism is like each project is its own unique little thing and then it moves on to the next one. So it's not like uh, our product is built with framework X. Yeah. 2020, the rise of micro frameworks on the front end. <laughs> micro front ends. I did find an interesting micro front ends, right? I did find an interesting note that high or blog post that somebody said, "Oh, the amount of code produced by the Elm compiler can be somewhat lengthy. Our 22,000 line application compiles to a file with over 53,000 lines of JavaScript that is 1.6 megabytes in size." Oh, wow. Wait, 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 wait. They wrote 20,000 lines of code and it compiled to 50,000 lines of code? Apparently. Wow. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so what Michael Rawlings is pointing out in our JS Party chat room, by the way, live listeners hang out in Pound JS Party of the uh, Changelog community Slack, all free, of course. And he says that it's not totally fair to say that Svelte has no runtime. There is a runtime. It just hides it. And I think he pasted a large portion or maybe the entire, you know, quote unquote runtime yeah. uh, into our chat. It's small. It's small. It does have a little thing. <laughs> but uh, the point is, is that Svelte is trying to do as much as possible when you build uh, versus having a runtime that you interact with in the page that you ship every time. Today I learned. T-I-L. So take that, K-Ball. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
All right, take I, it. I, well, it sounds like there needs to be more competition. <laughs> I agree. I think we'll see. I think we'll see a lot of the existing uh, competition. You know, stealing good ideas and m- moving more things that they can into uh, pre-compilation steps. I think Angular's already making moves in that direction. Yeah. The Ivy stuff. I'm not well familiar with that, but competition is good. I think predicting there'll be a, a new competitive JS framework next year is not exactly going out on a limb. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's just predicting what it will be called and like what will be the distinguishing factor. Well, speaking of that, somebody wrote JavaScript will be renamed to TypeScript yes. in our document. And so why is Nick trolling us in our document here? <laughs> this is a callback to our should JavaScript be renamed uh, episode uh, where we debated that. And I think that just looking at the, um, the now couple weeks old state of JavaScript results where 58% of developers uh, who responded to this have used TypeScript and would use it again, uh, and 22% have an interest in learning it uh, and at least heard of it. So it seems like for a majority of us now, uh, JavaScript has been renamed to TypeScript for us. Mm. Mm. I love those groans. Mm. Keep them coming. Well, I I mean, speaking to that point, so the State of JS 2019 survey results just came out late last year. Uh, It's a couple weeks ago (laughs) now that it's January 2nd. And one of the, I I wrote up a few insights, and one of those insights is that TypeScript is winning developer hearts. So uh, if you look at that graph on the State of JS, which we'll link in, 58.5% of respondents, which by the way, all that demographic data and everything is really available to download and stuff this year. So they've definitely been working hard on these surveys to make them better. 58.5% have used it and will use, would use it again. Whereas only 7% who have used it would not use it again. So uh, yeah, but JavaScript has the name brand, right? So I think you're more likely to have TypeScript renamed to JavaScript and just uh, go that way. Because as we discussed trying to rebrand something that has millions and millions of packages is problematic. And instead, we've already got this concept of JavaScript having multiple different versions and, oh, am I compatible with this or am I compatible with this? TypeScript, maybe TypeScript will just be JavaScript plus plus. It'll be, it'll essentially be like CoffeeScript. So it'll just be adopted into <laughs> JavaScript and then people won't talk about CoffeeScript anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is bringing the groans. Who predicted that the computing at the edge will take off Cloudflare workers, Akamai, edge workers, etc.? I wrote that. I, I was going to say, I'm going to guess Divya because that's her company's nuts and bolts, well, right? Oh. Yeah, but I... Chill. <laughs> you didn't put Netlify workers well, in yes, here. yes, Netlify workers as well. I mean, I didn't write that because it currently is not like <laughs> a huge thing at the moment, but it will be. I think in 2020, like you see a lot of companies talking about computing at the edge because there's an interest a resurgence of interest, not recent, because CDNs have existed for a long time. But um, there's a resurgence of, in interest specifically for performance and, and all that good, good stuff on putting things, like essentially pre-rendering and then putting things on a CDN. But then in contrast to how things were in the past, we're also looking at a lot more interactivity of pages. So not only do we want things static, we also want like, to make API calls and do redirects and various things that are happening, logic that's happening on your site. And now it's t- it takes a long time for you to do that because you're essentially having to like hit the cloud and then hit a server and then come back. 
So there's a lot of latency that happens as a result. Um, if you think of a redirect, that's essentially what that round trip has to happen because you have to go to the server. The server has to tell you like, hey, the page is no longer here, it's here. And then you have to do that round trip over and over and it takes a lot of time. And so with, with edge workers, you're essentially allowing, you can do a lot of that HTTP routing really quickly without having to do that trip all the way back to the server to like for any of that functionality to work. And I think that's really powerful, especially from a performance standpoint. And I imagine that a lot more people will start using it. A lot more companies will start building their own version of workers. So that is cool. So let's say I have a website and I have a server API and my server is in New York City at a central, you know, cloud infrastructure there. And I have somebody who's running my website in Japan. And they download all my files and they're happy-go-lucky. They got their Jamstack static stuff served from a CDN, so it's super fast to get them their files. But then it comes time for them to do auth and they hit the A part of the Jamstack and they make the API request. Well, that API request currently in, in current infrastructure, it goes all the way back to New York City to run that request and get the response and update. But with these edge workers, you're basically distributing the API that you write out to these to the CDN as well. So your function actually exists at wherever Cloudflare is closest to Japan, probably right there in Japan. And so now your functions are running there. And so the round trip time is much decreased. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Because I think people tend to forget that uh, we assume everything's in the cloud. And so everything is fast, but that's not the case because there is a lot of like that server time and latency that happens. And that's essentially... Like it happens at the speed of light, but distance takes time to travel. And so the further you are from the specific server where your logic sits, the longer the latency. And so with edge workers, you're essentially putting the, the logic right where the user is as close as possible. And so that latency is reduced significantly. And of course, there's like extra stuff that can happen with that being more reliable, faster, So does it automatically distribute my data as well? So let's say that in order to do that authentication, I have a users table and in my current setup, my users table is in New York City with my API server and it just has this local hop to query the database and get the answer. But in the case of it being the, you know, distributed around the world, I have an edge API in Japan. How does that edge function access my data? Is it also has to be distributed? So when you originally auth, you go from not authed to auth, you're probably going to go back to your central API, but then you get a cryptographically verifiable token that can be verified at the edge. Well, then let's, let's change it away from auth and say, and now I'm at the edge and I have another function that says, give me the list of recipes. It's a recipe app. Does the, is the list of recipes have to be distributed geographically close to that edge worker? Or does it also have to go back to the database and then do caching? Like, are, do Think still- about it as caching. Yeah, it's caching. So you, you, you're not saving all of... Because, I mean, essentially it's not a server. Like, it's still CDN. And so you don't want your database to be there because that's not what this is. It's essentially utilizing... You're still making a lot of those requests if you need new data, but you are making use of mm-hmm. the caching abilities... Um, so you can essentially like refresh the cache when you need to, get from the cache when you need to. And so like ideally what will happen is that if the data has already been fetched, you're just it's cached. And so you can grab from the right. cache itself. So it's super fast. But I don't think it removes that point of having to go to the server when you need to do authorization of any form. 
So when will we get that? Because basically what I would prefer is just distribute my application around the world. And I can just hit my API that's closest and they all have the same data and everything's honky-dory. Ooh, I had a fascinating conversation about that at Jamstack and I realized we have not shipped that conversation yet. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Give us the uh, elevator pitch or the Um, the micro summary. High level is we're working on it. Uh, But there's there's a really interesting question about like thinking about what sets of data can live where, what types of consistency guarantees do you need? Mm-hmm. So if you have something where you have to be absolutely, you know, you have to have uh, atomic transactions, you've got to have absolute consistency, you know, at any particular glance, then it's got to be centralized in some way. But you could imagine building out essentially the equivalent of a distributed data store where you have eventual consistency mm-hmm. and having that living at the edge because it just then has to, find a way to replicate out to the other edge nodes. Which probably gets harder and harder as your, the size of your database goes up as well. Yeah. So there's lots of... Yeah, there's lots of different pieces. Cool. Definitely an interesting space to be watching. All right, let's do one more from our predictions and then we'll move on to the, to the wish list. Uh, somebody grab out a prediction that either they put down or is interesting to them that we haven't touched on yet and that will be our last one. What's this, uh, I predict something bad will happen with the native file system. What's it, can somebody explain what, what they're worried about, what that is? That's me, and I'm worried about uh, security because we have uh, a new API, which is coming about, uh, the native file system API, which exists, I think, now in Chrome, just landed in, I don't know, some some channel of Chrome, you know, uh, super canary. I don't know. And what it does is it, it allows at the user's permission for the browser to reach outside of its sandbox and access the native file system of your machine. So uh, right now everything's been sandboxed and you, every browser can only access the things inside of the browser's uh, permission space and with the native file system API. It enables us to, as, as it says here on this website, to build powerful web apps that interact with files on the user's local device, like IDEs, photo and video editors, text editors, and more. So after a user grants a web, access, a web app access, the API allows web apps to read or save changes directly to files and folders on the user's device. So they put a lot of work into this, and they have a whole section on security and permissions. And uh, I will say that my skepticism is high because these things are very hard to do correctly. And anytime you allow what has previously been a safe sandboxed little space access to the entire system, usually bad things happen, especially when these things just ship. And it's just now shipping in 2019, end of 2019. So I think my prediction is we will see some uh, hacks or some uh, zero, zero days, what have you, against specifically uh, this API. Have you talked to Faras about it? Because I'm sure he, <laughs> he's figured out how yes. to use it Good. to destroy your sh- machine. <laughs> exactly. Also, it's it's like currently on Can I Use It? It's on Chrome with a flag and not no yeah. other browser supports it. And I don't see... Do, do you know what the, the expectation is for other browsers to support this at all? Because I think... It just seems that on web.dev, it says Chrome is implementing it with behind a flag. But I have not heard about it from any other, like Mozilla or any other browsers. So I have no idea. 
to what level this will be adopted. Chrome's going to want to look at all your files and index them and, and upload the data what? to Google. <laughs> and then send you ads based on your documents. Yeah, I'll be sure to call all my folders like XXX or something like that. <laughs> synchronized groaning. Yeah, I'm not sure if the other uh, vendors have said they're going to implement I this. I have no idea. Yeah. But it's a thing where uh, Chrome is currently leading the way. And I don't want to say this isn't desirable because uh, it absolutely is, especially for people trying to build very rich featured web applications. If I'm trying to build an in-browser uh, photo editor, well, it would be very useful for me to have access to all the photos that are on your disk versus having to move them around or upload them or what have you. Like, this is something I think developers do want. It just can be very precarious because it's opening up perhaps a Pandora's box of problems when it comes yeah, to... I mean, it would, be, it would be awesome to have, well, I guess, but I mean, it would be neat to have a VS Code in your browser, right? But it just works with your file system instead of the cloud, right? Exactly. That would be cool, I guess. I don't know if I necessarily feel the need to use it, but uh, honestly, I, I, I don't know if I would trust Chrome with it. Yeah, it seems that the draft in the W3C is uh, the person that's on it is the person from Google only. <laughs> that's only one person. It's like very much in draft. The one thing that I will say is I think we as developers are much more paranoid and much more aware of the permission boundaries of browsers than your typical mm -hmm. user. I think that's fair. And so while yes, I think there is a, a big concern about misuse and something bad happening like folks already install apps everywhere yeah <laughs> They're already giving access to their file system to anyone and everyone but at the same time i don't think you should make it easier yeah that's a strange argument it's like well the side door is already unlocked and so is the back unlock the front door what's the difference it's already insecure what i'm saying is i'm not convinced that this is actually like uh, particularly since it is going through the browser and I think they are being very careful about how they do it. I think it is, if if this makes people less inclined to just install random apps, it's probably a better controlled gateway than we are currently have for the majority of users, right? Like it's probably going to be more secure than the tendency to install an app everywhere for everything. You know what would be really cool? This would enable so much like awesome tooling oh for sure so everything that you're doing right now on the command line you know maybe there's a gui front end for it that just you know does the same thing um, i mean it, it would be it's kind of like it, it's not giving you everything electron does mm -hmm. right it's not giving you access to all of nodes built-ins or anything like that but um, mm -hmm. i mean that file system access goes a long way and that's that's a lot of what tools do is just open files, monkey with them, output a file. All right, so that's a few things that we predict will happen in 2020. Hold our feet to the fire. Let us know <laughs> at the end of this year. If that's true, uh, stay tuned. We'll be back for things that we would like to see happen in 2020.
This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the simplest cloud platform for developers and teams with products like Droplets, Spaces, Kubernetes, Load Balancers, Block Storage, and pre-built one-click apps. You can deploy, manage, and scale cloud applications faster and more efficiently on DigitalOcean. Whether you're running one virtual machine or 10,000, DigitalOcean makes managing your infrastructure way too easy. Head to do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog. It is now time for us to put forth our wish list. What would we love to see happen in 2020? And we have a few things written down here. I'm going to skip to the end because I like this one. I'm guessing this is something that Chris wrote. I'm interested to hear who it is. Facebook. It is not. It is not? Okay, then I'll go to Nick. Is it Nick? Facebook puts React into an external foundation. Is that you, Nick? Okay, boss. It is not me. Oh, man, I suck at this game. <laughs> okay, K-Ball wrote that? K-Ball Why do you that? care? Why do I care? Because... As much as I like Vue more than React, I think React is a very positive thing for the community and the amount that it is owned by Facebook, which I consider to be a generally toxic company, is a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be nice. I don't think they have any reason to put it in a foundation. So the, the, the only way that's going to happen is if React's users mm-hmm. demand it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so far, it, people don't seem to care. So I, I do not know any details on this. A conversation I had with someone who tends to consult on this type of thing while we were at All Things Open led me to believe this was a possibility. What would that practically in regular developers' life, what would that changer do? Like, What would be the implications of that? So I think short-term, very little. Medium to long-term, it might have a large impact. So the, the biggest thing right now is that React makes a ton of choices in terms of prioritization of features and in terms of how they optimize things for particularly Facebook's use cases. And not being super, super deep in the React community, I haven't uh, followed deeply around what the impacts of that have been in some places, but I've seen it come up a few times on Twitter um, with people like Dan Abramoff, who are, are public faces for React, being like, look, y'all, let me remind you the choices we're making are what Facebook needs. They may not be the right choices for you because it makes a lot of stuff that makes a ton of sense if you've got you know, massive, massive scale um, and the types of problems that Facebook is solving that may be over-optimizations or, or even you know, over-complex, bloated, what have you, when you're talking about smaller apps. It's a very top-down project. And as Dan said... It's not serving the community, right? It's serving Facebook, and they throw it over the, over the wall, essentially. And given the numbers that we see in, in the State of JS survey and pretty much every other survey, like it's a significant part of the, the ecosystem that's just being thrown over the wall right now. Yeah, and you know, I think they do a good job. They've got a lot of great stuff. It's, they've got an incredible pipeline of innovations that they've been putting out. You know, a lot of the things that have improved Vue and Angular, you know, some of the really big changes in how they think about the world originated in React. React has done some really, really good work. Um, so I don't want to throw the team working on it under the bus or say that, you know, they're doing bad work or that they're, how would you say, like, you know, not doing things that are valuable to the community. However, they are 
prioritizing based on Facebook's needs. And Mm -hmm. they're very transparent about that, but it still drives all that decision-making. I think the same problem is there for Angular. However, I heard, one, uh, React is far more widely used. (laughs) Looking at that same state of JS framework, the number of people who have used but would never use or would not use again for Angular outnumbers the people who have used and would use again, plus the number who are interested in it. So, Mm -hmm. like, Angular is not as nearly as popular. And secondly, I haven't heard any sort of inside rumors that Angular is likely to be spun out into a foundation, whereas I did hear the potential that that might happen with React. And, and what if React got hit by a bus tomorrow? Or sorry, what if Facebook got hit by a bus tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I screwed that up. <laughs> I would love, I, I think it's funny both ways. Right, right. We know that, that, that Facebook's kind of this thrown over the wall. Angular is... I would say the same thing. Yeah. Now, Vue is, from what I understand, I mean, it's pretty much you know, BDFL-style governance, right? I think they're moving away from that. So, like, it used to be for a time, but um, especially moving from Vue 2 to Vue 3, it's moving away from that kind of a style of, like, I guess, governance? I don't even know what you call it. Um, yeah, it's governance. Because uh, there's now officially a core team and everyone has a piece that they focus on so whether that be the compile aspect of things or like whatever else that is to to it documentation and stuff like that there's various people that focus on that and support that work and so evan doesn't have as much like he they still have meetings and they talk about things collectively but i think Evan has given free reign to people to focus on specific parts of Vue. So I don't think it's it's moving very much away from it. I think it's also not sustainable, right? Because to have just one person maintain a framework that so many people use. Yeah, because what if Vue gets hit by a bus? <laughs> <laughs> and what if Evan gets hit by a bus is the relevant um, question here, where there is no equivalent for Reactor Angular. I do think that he is still a little bit in that BDFL position, but has the community there and with his acceptance have very much started that transition away. They took a lot of lessons, I believe from the Ember community, which never has been the BDFL approach really. And they introduced a bunch of processes around RFCs and, you know, getting community input and distributing the team more and, and things like that. So I, I suspect that by maybe by view four will truly be away from a BDFL. So call him a BDF, but not FL, or, or benevolent dictator, but not for life. He's, he's working his own way out. For now, BDFN. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Vue, we have a wish list item. Vue 3 will ship, which sounds like maybe it's a troll, because isn't it supposed to come out like pretty soon now? It's supposed to like, come out at the end of the If it doesn't ship, won't that be a disappointment? It is. Is that like Half-Life the end of, 3? The end of 2019? The end of 2019 was what it slated for, but I don't but think it didn't come out. It hasn't shipped yet. Wait. It didn't ship. But we're recording from the future, oh, so maybe... Maybe. Oh, no. So if this ships between December 19th and January 2nd, then this whole section, can, you can just hit fast forward. I've never wished for something not to ship so much. <laughs> <laughs> so you're changing your wish list. You hope it doesn't ship. Until the show comes out, then you hope it ships. Yes. Gotcha. Watch, it'll ship on the 2nd. I know. Oh, That would be nice. That would be really nice. We'd be like forward thinking... That's the whole point, right? Well, you'd get what you want immediately. Yes. Like, nobody wants to wait for their wants. You know, just give it to me. Exactly. It will ship. It will ship. Yes. 
there's a lot of work that needs to be done because they're changing Vue 3 and like the core functionality. So a lot of it is, it's essentially TypeScript as a first-class citizen, which is really great because people who use TypeScript in the past with Vue had to use a lot of hacks for it. And it Vue syntax for TypeScript looked completely bonkers. It essentially looked like React. But I think now with Vue 3, it'll look a bit more, there'll be more parity between writing Vue without TypeScript and Vue with TypeScript. So. Mm. So while we're talking about Vue, we also have a wishlist item, a great OS data tables component for Vue. I'm guessing that one's from Divya. I think that was Cable. Wrong Gosh. again. <laughs> yeah. I'm batting zero on this. <laughs> I think you, could, you could probably I can't put Divya in the in a corner, you know. It's like you're the view. Person. I mean you That's had like so... two two options to pick from you pick the wrong one. So Well just I'll get the I'll get this eventually. I have a lot of wishlist items. Generalize it? Yeah, I don't think that it has to be specifically for Vue. Like, I don't think there's a good data that's tables true, component actually. for anything. Yeah, that's, that's totally true. What's OS data tables? Open, Open source. source? Okay, I thought it meant operating system because I was confused. There are some decent solutions for React specifically. There's a very fully featured old school jQuery based solution that while I didn't love working with it, it was actually super powerful in a lot of ways. So I'd like to see just a powerful, flexible view component or library, however you want to think about it, thing for data tables. I do think in the React community, there are some better solutions. There's essentially nothing good that I could find for Vue. Shout out to SlickGrid. Anybody remember SlickGrid? Just me. All right. <laughs> I do. <laughs> it was slick. I'm fat and zero. Fat and zero. Okay. What else? Somebody wants a grid-based component model for CLI apps. I'm guessing this one's going to be... <laughs> Chris? Nice. Yes. There's uh, this project called Ink, which is essentially React in your terminal. Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, you need React. So there's a significant overhead there. And so it's based on Facebook's Yoda, which is like their implementation of Flexbox, I want to say. And so it's like Flexbox in the terminal. And I don't feel like that's really the, mm, it, it's a difficult kind of abstraction in the terminal because you're not really working with this like box model in the terminal. What you're working with is a grid. You're working with 80 by 25. And so it's really difficult to, with, with Inc to, to do some of the, essentially anything grid based. And so what I'd love, love to see would be something that allows you to use components just like you'd write in React or, or, or something like that. Um, and, you know, output, like, awesome CLI apps, but do it, you know, you would create them you know, declaratively. And so, yeah, I would love to see something like that, maybe built on Preact, because I think that just, like, the overhead of loading all, all of React and the terminal is just kind of, it's a big hit on startup time. But I, I just, I want a better way to, to make awesome, you know, CLI UIs. What was it called again? The thing that you were mentioning that Facebook implements? Yeah, I think it's called Yoda. Yoga. Yoga. Yoga, not Yoda. Yoga. Oh, okay. So like baby yoga? Baby yoga. Oh my no. gosh. Yoga. Now I yoga really want someone to implement thing. an open source like component for CLIs called Yoda. Just because. And I've, I've seen some, like there's a stab at this in, in Rust or something like that too. But yeah. Anyway, that's what I want, and um, I'm just, just kind of a CLI nerd, so that's my thing. 
That would be really neat. I hope you get your, your wish list item. Who wants CSS subgrid in Chrome and why? K-Ball, you're like, you've got a long list here, buddy. i got a long <laughs> wish list. I want CSS subgrid in Chrome for a couple of reasons. So it recently shipped in Firefox, so we know that there's been good progress here. And what CSS subgrid lets you do in a way that is really painful to do right now is nest different grids and have them all line up. So you can have a grid-based component and a grid-based subcomponent and have the pieces of the subcomponent line up with the parent component. And the big reason that I want that is I think that it enables you... Right now, you use CSS Grid mostly for layout level components. And if you're going to use it inside of a component, you need to be really careful and thoughtful about how it's interacting with your layout. And it's nesting things where if you have a grid-based layout and then you have a grid-based component, the nesting is really a pain in the ass. If you have subgrid enabled, I think most of that goes away. And suddenly you can have independent component development where the components are utilizing grid to lay themselves out in a reasonable manner. And they can be nested into a grid level layout using the subgrid and have everything line up perfectly. And so I just think it, it explodes the possibilities of what we can do with grid so that we're not just thinking about it at the level of page layouts, but it suddenly becomes something that anytime you're doing two-dimensional positioning, whether it's at a page level or a component level or a subcomponent level, you can use grid, use the power that we have there and nest things in and out in a you know, straightforward way without having to have the whole picture in your mind as you develop each piece. I think subgrid is super cool. It's, it's really neat. And it shipped in December, so it's pretty recent. But I think from can I use it's only available in Firefox at the moment. So hopefully other browsers implement it. Because I've had the problem of having trying to hack a grid within grid, which is really annoying. It doesn't work. Or it just like it doesn't work. Doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't work. The browser's like, I don't know what to do with this information. You know, like just treat it like its own component. But yeah, it'll be really it's it's a really neat implementation. Are there polyfills or anything you can do now where you can kind of use a... I don't think so. There are not. There aren't. I think it's just Firefox that has it at the moment. And there's like no polyfills that I know. Okay. Well, that sounds like a something a lot of people would like to have. I mean, it like very recently shipped in like early December. So a month ago. All right. Next up. Somebody wants me to write TypeScript in 2020 mm -hmm. and part it. <laughs> <laughs> now this one, I have a feeling, is, is a Rickroll. And our resident Rickroll expert is Nick Nisi. It's a Nick roll. I think it's going to happen. You're going to love it, Jared. Well, it's not on my list of resolutions, that's for sure. And <laughs> now that I know how bad you want it, I think it's set in stone that it will not happen. We'll trick you into it somehow. Trick me into it. <laughs> um, we'll see what happens. I would like to write some code at all in, in 2020 because, man, in the last six months, I feel like I've written very little... Like I write snippets and things here or there. I fix bugs, but I haven't had like a, I haven't had a six hour coding session in probably six months oh, wow. and I need more of that in my life. So probably the first time in 12 to 15 years that I haven't like had a serious, serious coding session in a very long time. So I need to write some code at all, let alone TypeScript. <laughs> <laughs> See how I say that with just disdain and yep. <laughs> TypeScript. We'll all be laughing about this in a year. It's like the guy at the end of Scooby-Doo, you know. I would have done it too. It went for TypeScript. <laughs> All right. 
I, this has to be cable because somebody wants to see JS Party live shows on four plus continents. And I know cable wants oh, to yeah. travel the world for JS Party, which can't blame him, but this, that's you, isn't it, cable? That was 100% me. And I'm thinking, yeah. you know, North America, South America, Europe. We've got, like, last year we hit three. So the key question is... So which is, events were we at uh, in 2019? We were at NodeCon Colombia. We were, yeah. So we were at JSConf Hawaii. We were at React Amsterdam. We were at NodeConf right. Colombia. Some, uh, we were, I think some, did we do a live show at JSConf US? Or did we not end up doing that? We didn't. Nope. Not this year. Um, so we didn't do that. We were at All Things Open. Um, Emma was at React Girls London or something. That's mm-hmm. right. React Girls London. Mm-hmm. Um, and else? then Node.js Interactive. And Node.js Interactive. So Pretty good list. Solid set. But yeah, I'd like to see us back in all those continents. I know we're planning for NodeConf Colombia again, which I'm super excited about. Uh, so we'll have a lot, uh, South America. I'm sure we'll do something in North America. So getting something in Europe again and then adding one, whether it's Asia or Ooh, Africa yes. or I don't know. You should um, you should think about, I think JSConf Asia is in Singapore and then there's WebConf Asia as well, which is in Hong Kong. So, and I think there's a JSConf Japan as well, but I think that's towards mm-hmm. the end of the that year. Just that passed, just passed, I think. Yeah. That would be cool. But yeah, I'd love to see us get out to something and just keep growing this thing because, you know, JS Party, it's a movement. It's a worldwide party. That's right. So out there, listeners, if you are in Africa, which is a a large area of the earth, or if you're in Asia, which is another very large area of the earth, and you either organize an event or you're going to an event in 2020, and you would love to have JS Party be involved, contact us. Uh, via Twitter, JS Party FM, or editors at changelog.com, however you'd like, get a hold of us. We would love to work with you and make that a reality. JS Party live shows in four plus continents. Now, let me say, if you're out there listening in Antarctica, <laughs> don't call us. We're not we're not going up there. Go. It's too cold. I'll I'll go. Oh, oh wait a second. All right, all right. Okay. Nick's volunteer. I mean, you just made it up to Montreal, Montreal in December. Thing, so right? but how right. about Same Australia? Thing. Australia's a Ooh, continent, right? That is, That's right. Yeah, I totally missed that. <laughs> Challenging our geography skills here today, <laughs> as I forgot a one major continent. <laughs> yes, I would love to go to Australia. Let's let's see. Maybe not. Let's make well, it let, happen. Let's folks. make it for 2020. Let's let's see if we can hit six continents. If you like this show, I bet you'd enjoy listening to Brain Science. Join clinical psychologist Muriel Reese and Adam Sokoviak as they explore the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and being human. Here's a quick taste of what you can expect. It's from episode four about coping skills and strategies. Take a listen. I often use this acronym with people when they're trying to cope, because, and it's HALT, H-A-L-T, HALT. Because if we are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, your coping will invariably look different. I don't care if you're 3, 33, 73. Right. If you are hungry or hangry, 
angry, <laughs> lonely, or tired, you just have less to be able to navigate it. Brain Science is a great podcast. Check it out at changelog.com slash brain science or just search Brain Science in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast directory. You'll find it. While you're at it, upgrade to our master feed at changelog.com slash master and let your podcast app download all the shows we produce. Then you can pick and choose the ones you're interested in the most and skip the rest. What have you got to lose? All right, back to the show. Okay, it is now time for us to lie to ourselves and to each other about what we're going to do this year. We're going to set out some resolutions and we're going to throw them out into the airwaves so people can throw them back at us and say, see, you're a failure. No, we're going to succeed. We're going to help each other succeed. And uh, if you have your own resolutions, definitely share them with us. We can be accountability friends. Let's go around Robin and see what everybody would like to do in developer world in 2020. How about Chris? What's your resolution? So these are not like quantifiable resolutions, right? So <laughs> I'm going to say... <laughs> that's, a, that's a big out right there. Recipe for disaster. No, no, like if you're at your job and you're like setting your goals and they need to be something like... This is not like an a OKR. Job. We, no. That's why I said we're no. all going to lie to ourselves. Right. So you just go ahead and... We are... N- just. I'm not doing that. So, Okay. <laughs> I wrote here, I want to spend more time maintaining my projects. And so I didn't get a lot of time this last year to work on Mocha especially, and I want to give it more time next year. Uh, there are some other um, very small projects that, that need more love as well. Uh, I spent about half the year uh, creating my new report toolkit project for Node.js diagnostic reports. And so, yeah, Mocha needs love, and I want to give it what it needs. And I, I hope I can do that. So that would be my, that would be my resolution. That's a good one. Nick, yours is blank. I'm wondering if maybe you're just resolved not to have a resolution or <laughs> if you accidentally hit delete. What's up with you, Nick? Yeah, I just want to go. I want to take it easy in 2020. Not, <laughs> not think of anything. <laughs> no, um, I, I've been trying to think of this. Like, what, what, where do I want to be a year from now uh, mm. in terms of this? And, uh, one thing that I, I've been working on in my free time is I, I do, not to steal anyone else's because it, it seems like we're all very much on the same page, but I want to write more and tweet more, like adding content, good learning content and things like that. OC, original content. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so I've been doing what you normally do, or at least what I normally do in these cases, is I've been rewriting my blog so that I can actually write something because that's the most important thing. I can't that's write something until... That's the procrastinator's until... <laughs> toolbox right there. Exactly. You're working on your tools. <laughs> so just generally, you don't have any set goals. You just want to write and tweet more original content in 2020. I think so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Divya, your turn. Um, so I, I, I also similarly feel very like... I, every year, I always tell myself that I'll write more, and then it happens till February, and then it drops off. So I'm not going to say that anymore. But I do want to, and this is not very quantifiable either, but I want to be more um, perceptive of working on my own things because oftentimes, like, I'm on the road a lot. And so I end up being sucked into, like, doing work stuff, which I love. I absolutely love my job. Um, but I also want to work on things that 
are outside of that because I think you grow when you do things that are outside of your comfort zone a lot and so for me that's something that's really important just like personal development outside of like my area of expertise because I think it I, I like how sometimes when I learn things my my things I'm interested in and things that I end up going deep on like is off what I think is not what I expect mm. to be learning and doing and so I want to spend 2020 doing more of that we'll see if that even happens it's always like always so frustrating it's like the spring happens and then you forget everything it's the worst but um yeah working on more personal projects and I I honestly like I always I think people always talk about being public and then the being public means that you're more accountable but for me that doesn't work because oftentimes being public means I feel like it needs to be perfect which ends up me not doing the thing because I think it's never ready which is like I mean not to call Nick out but I would do the same thing where I would be like the blog needs to be perfect before I write anything or my post needs to be perfect and then it well it does yeah it does but then it never gets out the door and that's the problem and so like (laughs) for me working on personal projects is a way for me to just like squirrel away work that I'm doing without having to be public and I think that allows me to grow publicly (laughs) people don't have to see my Mm -hmm. process like they can I can do that without anyone looking at me which I feel more comfortable with anyway but yeah hopefully that will help sounds like a a noble goal new year new me (laughs) (laughs) oh I wish we do video right now because that peace sign was epic okay (laughs) New year, new Divya. Uh, is it a new K-Ball? Sounds like maybe it's going to be more better K-Ball. What do you got more going? More better K-Ball? Well, so I, my initial one, which then you wrote, don't t- steal your thunder. So I'm going to, I do, I'm going to do another one. So you can do this too. So you're going to steal mine and then add and one then up me? One up you. No. All right. I won't, I won't even do my original. So <laughs> no, you do can it, keep it. I was just joking. Go ahead. So my original is I'm going to write at least one article beyond my newsletters each month. Now I do have the newsletters, which keep me honest to writing regularly but uh my amount of writing actual standalone articles dropped off a lot over the course of the year mm-hmm. as we all know how that happens so i'm going to get back on that and be writing at least one each month is my resolution there but my non-writing resolution since we all have this shared oh i'm going to write more thing is i want to do at least four live performances of things that are not tech. So it's not, you know, JS party live shows or talks or things like that. But I do a few different other things. I've been doing improv classes. So this last year I had three different improv performances, which was good. Hopefully we'll be able to continue that into the new year and that would take care of this. But if not, I need to seek something else out. I also do dance. I used to do performances and competitive dance. So maybe that I've Karaoke. thought about. Uh, karaoke i don't know if karaoke counts as a performance yeah, though totally yes it does all right so karaoke maybe maybe we'll just go karaokeing at various conferences and that's that like an easy way of yeah. getting there. check check um <laughs> the other thing i've been thinking about exploring is stand-up uh Ooh. but have not started that yet so that just high level <laughs> at least four live performances and we'll see how that plays out most likely is those will end up being improv because I'm hoping to keep running with that, but could be something else. We'll see. I'm looking. Well, I forgot my, what mine was because Nick changed it to write more TypeScript. <laughs> I did not so. change that. <laughs> I wrote that. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know who's who anymore. It was anymore. too good. It was too good. You wrote write Cats more. Cats and dogs and living together. At the end of it. I was like, I have to finish that sentence. 
So most years I refuse to do resolutions because of all the reasons that they are pitfalls or they aren't pitfalls, but you have pitfalls. Anyways, I often fail at them and I end up worse off than I was because I'm a bit of a failure. But uh, a few years back, I did resolve to write more and I actually set a goal. I had a KYR. What's it called, Divya? A a KYR? OKR. I had an OKR. Uh, Once a week, I was going to write for my personal blog. I could write about something technical or personal once a week. This is probably 2016, 2017. And I made it really far. I made it like, it was past spring. Let's just say that. And once a week is difficult for lots of reasons, mostly because for me, it's inspiration. So, you know, the the 1% versus the 99% perspiration. I don't have much of a trouble perspiring when I write. It's the (laughs) inspiration that I struggle with. You know, I just can't think of things to write about. So once a week is difficult. That being said, I do want to write more non-TypeScript. And I'm thinking I would like to set a goal of every other week and see how far I make it. So that's what I'm going to do. It's going to be technical writing. OC, as Nick would say, original content, not just link blogging, which is what a lot of we do at Changelog News, is pointing to interesting things. That doesn't count because I do that multiple times every day. But uh, original posts I would love to do every other week. And uh, we'll see how this goes. So there you have it, friends. Our predictions, our wish lists, and our resolutions for the year ahead. That's our show. Welcome to 2020. We'll talk to you again next time. All right. Thank you for tuning in to JS Party. We record live on Thursdays. Come hang with us. It's a lot of fun. We also take requests. What would you like to hear about on the pod? Holler at us at changedog.com slash request. We're also on Twitter at JS Party FM. We love chatting with listeners. If you haven't yet, upgrade to our master feed. Think of it like a mono repo for Changelog podcasts. Get this show, practical AI, brain science, and everything we produce all in one place. You've got nothing to lose. Please do support our sponsors. They support us. You know Fastly, Rollbar, and Linode all have our back. Thanks to them. When we need music, we summon the Beat Freak, Breakmaster Cylinder. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Everybody, if you got what it takes, cause I'm Curtis Blow and I want you to know that these are the breaks. Alright, break. Alright, coffee time. I'll be right back. I need a scent. I need to like find that. I have a gift. I have a gif. It's a gif. For cable. It's a gif. Uh oh. We have our next, uh, yep, nope. Actually, I, I tweeted about the ESM versus ESM thing, and then, like, <laughs> I think I'm the only one who says ESM at the moment. You're trying to make I'm it a change. I'm trying to make change. it a thing. ESM? It's just hard to say. No, it's not. It sounds like ASM, which is like ASM.js. That's confusing. I like it. Thank you. Well, you got one. Yeah, but he likes TypeScript. So. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be trusted. Oh, my wish list. Jared will be writing TypeScript. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. I oh, like yes, that. Yes, I found it. Okay. <laughs> keep wishing, Nick. Keep wishing. I probably would have tried it by now if it wasn't for this show. But <laughs> I've made it my enemy, so I can't give it a shot. It's part of my identity now. I'm anti TypeScript by identity. <laughs> at the new job that I'm working at, we have a new part of the code base that's in TypeScript and an old type that is, or an old part that is not. And I have to say it is pretty darn nice when we're mm-hmm. in the TypeScript part. 
There's a lot to be said. However, the downside is the new part is also in React. The old part is in Vue. And I like React a lot less than I like Vue, to be honest. Yes. I'm, I'm in the same boat with React. Not necessarily with Vue. I've never looked at Vue, but I just I don't see... I don't, I, Sorry, I, don't what, I missed it. What did you say? You don't I like was, React or you do? I, I would say... so. Yeah, at, at my new job where I'm working, we have an old mm -hmm. part of the code base that is vanilla JavaScript and Vue, and a new part that is TypeScript and React on the front end. And the TypeScript part is actually really nice. It's really nice, much nicer to be working in the TypeScript than in, in vanilla JavaScript um, when it's a large code base with lots of people touching it. But I am being reminded that I like Vue a lot better than I like React. Mm, gotcha. It's all right. That's okay. The last couple of weeks I've been working deep on the back end on something, so I don't have to worry about it. Okay, Ball, when did you get a new job? I started a new job almost exactly a month ago. I thought you were doing like uh, freelancing. I was. Um, oh. And <laughs> what ended until up. Until a month ago. Until a month ago. Um, I got a really cool opportunity at a job that is very aligned with my uh, interests, and they were okay with me only working three quarters time so that I can still podcast and I can still write my newsletter and do various other things without it eating up the rest of my day, which was one of the big reasons I wanted to stay freelancing. So, I'm excited about it. Awesome. Where is this job? Uh, it's in downtown Mountain View. It's a company called Humu, H-U-M-U, and it's focused on essentially applying learnings from behavioral economics and psychology to make workplaces better. Um, so we're building tooling um, around, you know, that help with things like improving culture, uh, manager effectiveness and diversity and inclusion. I was worried you were going to say advertising. <laughs> no. <laughs> What's the name Humu about? Is that a Humu Humu Nuku Nuku Apu a -a? That is the origin. Yes. I don't know what that I is no either. I have no idea what <laughs> So, humu humu nuku, nuku apua'a is a type of fish uh, oh, it's like a from Hawaii. It's the, yeah, it's the it's the state fish of Hawaii. Akawapa, uh, okay. uh, which my six year old absolutely loves saying now. Can we name this episode that? Done. <laughs> no, because this is the break. <laughs> Prediction twenty twenty. Prediction. Nobody will understand this episode name. There it is. It is spelled now um, in the GS Party chat. Humu, humu. But any, the company is just humu, which is a lot easier. Humu, nuku, kunu, kampawa. But I was just trying to read that letter for letter. Nuku, nuku, apua'a. Yeah. Yeah. This needs the Hawaiian is very simple. This needs the spaces in it so I can read it like with the breaks. Anyways, we should get back to the show. But yeah, anyway, new job. It's awesome so far. I've been there almost exactly a month, so I'm still in honeymoon, so we'll see. And TypeScript is uh, winning me over. React is not so much. Mm -hmm. more, to, more to come on that drama. <laughs> During the next break, perhaps. <laughs> okay. 